Welcome back to Regionally Speaking with your hosts, Dee Dotson and Tom Maloney. Indiana lawmakers will be returning to the State House in just a few days. So we bring back our conversation with Indiana Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch. Lawmakers will return to the State House in just a few weeks for the short, non budget 2024 legislative session, and education is among the top priorities. Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch joins us now to talk about the upcoming session, mental health and wellness, as well as an exciting grant opportunity for a Black History Month curated art exhibit in Gary. Lieutenant Governor Crouch, as always, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. It's wonderful to be with you, Dee. Absolutely. So, Lieutenant Governor Crouch, we have spent a lot of time in the past talking about the work your office is doing to ensure that all Hoosiers with intellectual and developmental disabilities that have that desire to be able to enter the workforce. For those that may be unfamiliar with some of the programs you've championed, partnering with organizations and employers across the state, take a moment to talk about some of the recent tours you've done to advocate for as well as supports inclusive talent programs. Absolutely, Dee. And as Lieutenant Governor, I chair the Intellectual and Developmental Disability Task Force. So we have 100,000 Hoosiers who have autism, Down syndrome, or cerebral palsy. And so we work through that task force to ensure that they can live, work, and play in safe, accessible, affordable environments. Because our friends with disabilities are really just friends with different abilities, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. they have the same hopes and dreams and desires as each and every one of us. They want to have friends and have a job and love and be loved and be successful in life. So we focus on being able to ensure that they can do that. And one of the things that is most important to all of us, whether we have a disability or not, is being able to have a job. And yet Hoosiers with disabilities have a 70% unemployment rate. When we're looking at here in the state having a little over 3% unemployment rate, Hoosiers with autism, Down syndrome, or cerebral palsy, or with a physical disability, have 70% unemployment rate. So we've been focused on how do we highlight those employers who actually are employing those Hoosiers with disabilities. And in September, I visited different employers around the state and was actually up there for the Opportunity Enterprises Respite Center, their ribbon cutting, uh, where you actually have, and I believe it's in Valparaiso, actually have a place now where parents or family members of those Hoosiers with disabilities can take their loved ones and actually get a break. And then, of course, for their loved ones, they're able to be in an environment with others and and have the kind of normal life that, you know, they get when they're with their peers. But more importantly, and as importantly, Opportunity Enterprises has partnered with Ivy Tech to be able to put in place a program that will train those Hoosiers with disabilities to be able to work and be prepared to enter into the manufacturing workforce. And so I was able to be there for kind of that announcement. And I was so excited to see the partnership between Opportunity Enterprises and between Ivy Tech to be able to prepare these Hoosiers with disabilities to enter into the workforce. Uh, And so want to be sure that in my position as chair of the Intellectual and Developmental Disability Task Force and as Lieutenant Governor, we're highlighting those employers so that 
other employers understand that this is a population that wants to work and with the proper training, they're incredible employees uh, because they are very dedicated. They don't miss work. They don't call in sick. You know, they take their breaks when they're supposed to. And they're just mm -hmm. an incredible employee and they actually lift up the workforce. That is so true. As the um, loved one of someone who has an intellectual disability, who has been with the same employer for 28 years, when I often speak with her superiors, they they echo those same sentiments that you shared, that she takes her breaks when she's supposed to. She actually arrives probably an hour before she's supposed to arrive, but that she goes above and beyond. And so differently able, correct, but they are some of the best employees to have. And so I just wanted to reiterate the sentiments that you just shared. Absolutely, Dean. When, when we have a hundred over 100,000 unfilled jobs here in our state, and we have people that want to work. Um, let's encourage our employers and business people to look to that population to hire them, because as you, as you pointed out from personal experience, they absolutely make great employees. Lieutenant Governor Crouch, so I want to bring our conversation back locally for just a moment. One of the agencies under your charge recently announced an exciting opportunity to support the arts in Northwest Indiana, specifically in Gary. Take a moment to share with us what the IHCDA's Creating Places initiative is, as well as what the proposed project will mean for the region during Black History Month. Absolutely. Uh, the Indiana Housing Community Development Authority is an agency that I oversee, and they do affordable and workforce housing projects throughout Indiana. But one of the things that they're really um, absolutely focused on is quality of space and quality of place. And so what they have done is create a program called Creating Places, uh, where communities can say, we have a project that's really going to contribute to the quality of life of the people here in our communities. And we want to, we set a budget where we want to raise X amount of dollars for this project. And if they meet their goal, then we will match them dollar for dollar up to $50,000. And so there is a project there in Gary and it's led by Tina's Legacy. And what they want to do is create a bringing our seats to the table exhibit. And they will use upcycled furniture to represent the struggles and the resilience of African, African Americans in Black history for the Black History Month in February of 2024. So their goal is to raise $5,000 by January 18th. If they meet their goal, we will match them up to, to the, for the full $5,000 from my Housing Community Development Authority Agency. Now, they currently have raised $135, so we need people in the community to, at this time of giving, to be able to reach in into their pockets and, and try to help this, the Tina's Legacy, reach their goal of $5,000 so that we can match them. Because if they don't reach their goal, we don't give them any money. So they have to get to that 5000 in order to be able to get our $5,000 match. So I would encourage your, your listeners to be sure to um, look at how they can participate and help Tina's legacy. They can go to Patronicity, that's P-A-T-R-O-N-I-C-I-T-Y, Patronicity, 
facebook.com backslash creating places. And they will be able to learn more about the project and how they can contribute to help them reach their $5,000 goal by January 18th. Great, great. Let's hope that our listening audience does, in fact, go to that website and help support the arts. The arts are so important for not only uh, the region, but for the entire Hoosier state. Lieutenant Governor Crouch, each month for the past year, we have spent time together, albeit virtually, but we have spent time together getting an update from your office on everything from the legislative session to the agencies in which you lead. And one thing that I can attest to is your leadership style as a servant leader. Your willingness to be open and transparent, even on some of those tougher topics that I may ask you about, it is quite refreshing for our listening audience. And to that point, on your official website for the Indiana State Government, you have a page titled Constituent Concerns. And there is even a statement that in part, again, speaks to your commitment to responding to correspondence from all Hoosiers. Share what you call your chief responsibility to serve the people of Indiana, as well as tell how anyone can get in touch with you or your staff. Well, you know, I, I, I started out in public service as a county auditor and a county commissioner down in Vandenberg County. And I made trans, government transparency, you know, a hallmark of my public service and have continued that as a state representative, auditor of state, and now lieutenant governor. Uh, and in fact, as auditor of state, our transparency portal, which actually detailed the how your tax money is being spent, was rated a national leader in our country. And so Transparency has always been a focus of mine because if government's not transparent, then government can't be accountable. And quite honestly, every dollar that comes to government has a name and a face attached to it. So we're not talking about government's money. We're talking about people's money. And so being able to be transparent in how we spend money, but also in how we act in the process that people go through in order to get their needs met, um, it has to be transparent, you know, to give people confidence that their government's working for them, because oftentimes people feel like they're working for their government. And so that is extremely important to me. Uh, it, but it's also important at this time when we're getting ready to go into a new session. So January 8th, we'll start the new legislative session. It'll be over, has to be over by March 14th. And I would encourage you listeners to be sure and reach out to your state senator and your state representative because it does make a difference. I'm a former state representative. I come from the Evansville area. And, you know, I will tell you on most bills and most issues, my constituents didn't reach out to me. But when they did, it really made a difference. And so please reach out to your senators, reach out to your legislators, let them know your positions. Be sure that you follow what's going on in your state government because it affects you. You can go to www.in.gov. You can go to backslash Lieutenant LG uh, for the Lieutenant Governor's Office to be able to follow what's going on in our office and contact us. But you can go to www.in.gov backslash IGA for Indiana General Assembly. And you can actually follow what's going on in the General Assembly via the internet uh, or in committee meetings. And so 
If nothing else, what I'd love to live with, leave with your listeners is please be engaged during this legislative session because this is legislation. These are bills that affect you and your families and your businesses. So, you know, don't sit on the sidelines. Be engaged. Make a difference in your government and in your life. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you led me to end our conversation with talking about the upcoming 2024 legislative session. I just wanted to say, I remember speaking at the end of the 2023 session. I remember speaking to almost every elected official from the region. And I even spoke to you over the summer. And I remember in each conversation, and I shared this with you as well, that this recurring theme of bipartisan support working across the aisle to get the work done for all all Hoosiers. It was just so amazing. And it was something that you didn't see across the country and clearly not something that you saw in D.C. And it was just so amazing. And we received so much feedback from our listening audience from those conversations because, again, it was just really amazing to see that all of our elected officials were working to get the job done, not for party, but for all Hoosiers. And so you spoke to constituents tuning in, checking in with their elected officials, being engaged. But I want to ask you, as the 2024 session kicks off January the 8th, to again, remind our listening audience what's at stake. Well, the the 2024 legislative session is what we call the short session. Uh, and as Lieutenant Governor, I serve as President of the Senate. So when the Senate's in session, I'm running the Senate. And so in the short session, it's more of a kind of a cleanup and a tweaking session. The really meaty issues will be taken up during the long session, which will be in 2025, because that is the budget session. And so many of these big issues are connected to money, just like the 988, you know, suicide hotline. That was money that was actually in the budget this year, which is a long session. So I think the issues that will, I has been, you know, articulated by leadership that will be focused on is in education, we have a real concern because so many of our third graders can't read by third grade. And study after study shows that if you're not able to read by third grade, you're going to struggle through life and you're going to struggle through school because you learn to read and then you read to learn. And so there will be focus on how can we get more students at that proficiency level by third grade, uh, because there's been a lot of discussion about we just pass kids on to the next grade, even if they can't read. And do we really do them justice by doing that? So that'll be a big point of discussion this session. The other issue that will be taken up and will be focused on is about truancy in school that we have 20% of our students that are truant, and that means they miss 18 days or more of school. So if 20% of our students are missing that much of school, are they really getting the fundamentals and learning to be able to be successful in school and in life? And so there will be a focus on how do we address that? How do we keep more of our kids in school so that they're getting prepared for that next step in life upon graduation from high school, whether it's enlistment, employment, enrollment, or apprenticeship. Uh, and are those will be two issues that will be taken up that really affect not only our families, but it affects our workforce and it affects, you know, how we grow as a state and as a community. 
Suzanne Crouch is the Lieutenant Governor of the wonderful state of Indiana. Lieutenant Governor Crouch, as always, I thank you for carving out time. I know that you are extremely busy. I'm glad you're not on the road today. But I really thank you for carving out time, spending time with us here on Lakeshore Public Media, sharing with our listening audience right here in the region everything that's happening from the State House. So I really appreciate you for spending time with us today. Well, you are welcome. It's wonderful to be with you, Dee. You're listening to Regionally Speaking on listener-supported Lakeshore Public Media. Thanks to a new Indiana law, starting this year, all Hoosier High School seniors will need to complete the Free Application for Federal Student Aid, or FAFSA. A goal of the law, which was signed last April, is ensure that students better understand and can have access to all the funding available to those who are headed to college. Joining us now to talk about this critical step for many high school seniors is Tammy Silverman, president of Indiana Youth Institute. Tammy, as always, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Thank you for having me back. Okay, Tammy, so as I shared in my opening, there's a new law on the books, and this month's column focuses on the college-age Hoosiers, and it's timely as many high school seniors are making their final decisions on their next steps, which might include what college or university they will attend. Now, your latest column is titled, Navigating College Student Aid, the New Better FAFSA. Talk about the importance of this application and it serving as a gateway to financial aid assistance for college students. Yes. Well, we, we are excited that this year the, the better FAFSA is what they're calling it is, is in response to a lot of the things that feedback that has been given over the years. FAFSA can at times um, be complicated. It, it can be stress inducing for families. And yet it is that crucial financial aid tool that really is the gateway to not only federal grant dollars, but state grants, loans, work study programs. Many higher ed institutions, many universities use it for some of those grants. And so we know that it's a necessity, right? And so we want, we're excited to hear that they're making it a little bit easier um, for folks to understand how to go about filling it out so that they can get those funds. Now, Tammy, as we are talking about this, I remember my oldest kids when they were applying for colleges and the FAFSA application being part of that process. And I remember dreading completing the application. I also <laughs> dreaded the renewal process because it, it was a lot. It's a lot of information, a lot of passwords that you need to remember, and a lot of details that you have to include in the application. It was not intuitive at all. And as you shared, the new better application is a lot easier. And with that, I also understand, and I, I want to make certain that our listening audience understands that there is a new deadline as well. Can you share information about that? Yes. So they're renewing, you know, they're, they're usually it would be out right now and they're delaying it a little bit so that they can update um, when, when it, it, you know, make all these updates and improvements. And then it's not going to be ready until later in the spring. So, you know, there is still plenty of time. One of the things that, you know, Dee, I want to just validate that you're not alone, that, you mm -hmm. know, I, again, when you hear that, when, when folks hear FAFSA, Many people think about complexity, deadlines, annual renewals, all the verifications, all the requests for information. Um, and, and most often, students and their families were, were often navigating that alone and or with some limited help. And so I think that's the other big news and headline 
is that the state legislature decided that all high school seniors should be filling it out because we're, you know, that way they can all get the benefit. Mm -hmm. And because it is a new requirement, there will also be more help with filling it out. So, you know, it's kind of, it can be perceived as like you have to, but everyone, most, most students were anyway. And we know that some of this was a big barrier. Filling out the FAFSA could be a big barrier for all of these funds and several million dollars we were leaving unclaimed. Indiana families last year left almost $70 million of Pell Grants unclaimed. Wow. Right. Wow. And that can make, I mean, think about $70 million can go a long way to help a lot of Hoosier students get, make their path to post-secondary, you know, whether it's a two or four-year institution. So I'm glad that you said that a lot of people may look at it as a have to complete the application process and it may be a bit, you know, intimidating. But when you think about the amount of money that was left on the table, if you will, that could have helped so many students, that have to is a, is a must do it and just do it. So I just wanted to back you up and say to you that even though it was a pain for me for many, many years, it was also a blessing because my my two older students were able to gain access to so much money that we would not have otherwise known about. Terrific. Terrific. Well, and I think I think once you go through it and again, you know, uh, we haven't seen the exact form, but we do know that it has been made loud and clear and that a lot of folks have worked really hard to make it easier and to make this application process more streamlined. And so we want to make it easier and we want to make it accessible for all families. Um, And so that's why we are partnering with the Indiana Commission for Higher Education to provide trainings around the state. So these trainings are for anyone working with high school students. And so they can learn about really how, how can we help support all of our high school students and particularly our seniors as they're filling out the FAFSA, as they're understanding and, and making sure that people are aware of the 21st century scholars, you know, talking to them about what do they need to make sure. You know, we used to talk about getting to college, and now we've really understood that we need kids to get to and through right. their post-secondary pathway. And so all of these initiatives and efforts from the update and FAFSA to the support, to the trainings, all of those things are intended to help achieve that goal. Now, Tammy, I want to be honest with you. When I read this month's column, I had to pause for a moment when I read a staggering statistic about the decline in the number of Indiana students heading off to college. And I would like for you to just take a moment to unpack that a bit. Yeah, you know, I think that is surprising to a lot of people that Hoosier students heading to college has declined to 53%, so barely over half. Wow. And at the same time, as we're looking at particularly the jobs of the future, I mean, if you look at the lifetime earnings based on educational attainment, there is absolutely no doubt that particularly that bachelor's degree is a threshold over which not only is your current earning, but your lifetime earning and your and your lifetime wealth increases dramatically. In addition, as we look to the state's future economy, there's going to be a higher demand for more of those credentialed folks. So it's kind of a, you know, that the supply was going down, but the demand was going up. And that's why so many of us, IYI included, but certainly not alone, are really paying attention to say, how, how can we, again, make this accessible? 
make make sure that kids are that want to go forward on this path are really finding the support that they need to be successful. So I understand there's a new partnership between IYI and the Indiana Commission of Higher Education. Can you take a moment to talk about that? Absolutely. You know, they've, they've, the commission, we call them the commission or ICHE, has been around for a long time and we've worked with them um, for many years on and off. But we're really diving deep with them right now to make sure that this information and they're, they're driving a lot of these um, improvements on FAFSA and the training but to make sure that they're getting out to state to everyone that works with kids, right? And so oftentimes, uh, perhaps a couple of folks in the school system get this information, but maybe there's an after-school program and they don't know about these trainings or about these updates, so they can't help those kids. They can't reinforce it. And we certainly know that that getting kids ready to go off to, again, that two- or four-year institution man, it can take a lot of people, right? And so the more people we have working together, the better. So we are excited to dive deep with them on introducing the updated FAFSA and to make sure, again, that many, many folks, many, many people, caring adults, understand it and can help support our kids. In the time that we have left, you know, at the start of our conversation, you discussed the complexity of the application process in the past. And I understand that there are a number of trainings that will be happening around the state to help everyone prepare for completing the application process. Can you take a moment to tell our listening audience about the upcoming training training dates across the state? Absolutely. So we're kind of doing the whole state. So we have several different areas from Lake County, um, which is out there and available to Vandenberg, Marion, Allen, Miami. Tammy, again, I can find information as well as where our listening audience can take a look at the full column from you. IYI.org. It's all available for anyone that's interested, as well as there's contact information. If you do have follow-up questions, also at IYI.org, reach out and let us know what questions you have, and we'll do our best to get you an answer. Absolutely. Tammy Silverman is the president and CEO of Indiana Youth Institute. Tammy, as always, thank you so much for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Thank you, Dee. Thanks for caring about our kids. And welcome back to Regionally Speaking with your host, Dee Dotson and Tom Maloney. The United Way of Northwest Indiana was formed in 2021 when the Lake Area United Way, representing Lake County, Indiana, and the United Way of Porter County merged. In 2021, collectively, both United Ways provided more than $5 million in resources to help people thrive. The United Way of Northwest Indiana has set forth four goals by the end of 2025, including reducing the number of Northwest Indiana households living below financial sustainability levels by producing 1,000 graduates through the Level Up program. Adam O'Doherty is the president and CEO of United Way of Northwest Indiana, and he joins us now to talk about all of the great things the United Way of Northwest Indiana is doing right here in the region. Adam, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate the time. Adam, so there's a lot going on at the United Way of Northwest Indiana, especially as you approach the two-year anniversary of the merger between the two former United Way teams. Now, we can get to that in a moment, but the Level Up program is drawing a lot of attention. How would you describe the Level Up program? And to that point, what are you accomplishing with it? Yeah, I'd say the Level Up program is a, the way I describe it is think of a, almost like a career 
genie in a sense. So we specifically work with a targeted population, and I hate to use this term, the working poor. Uh, the reason why we're working with this particular population is there really aren't many services for this population. There's, you know, services for people that are homeless, people that are below the poverty line, people looking for their first job, they might be unemployed. But those that are working paycheck to paycheck to paycheck, there really isn't services. They're just making just enough to maybe not receive assistance, but not enough to live. And so when this program was created, we really heard, heard the voices of the community. The community is saying, we need support. We need support in this type of population. And there really wasn't anything out there. So we created Level Up to, uh, to really target that population and to help them. So the way Level Up really works is, you know, someone enrolls in our program and we help them dream. So they might have a dream of their own or they might not have a dream at all. But regardless, we're going to help them dream even bigger than they probably imagine even coming into our program. And most of our clients have never thought about, you know, how could I be a welder? I just not for me. I might be, I, I don't, I've never learned how to weld in my life. Why can't I be a welder? I, I want to be a, a nurse, but I, I'm not good at math. I'm not good at science. They have these limitations and barriers in their own mind. We help them overcome that. And how we do that is we have a positions called navigators. And I always say it's like a life coach, career coach, and a social worker all embedded into one because they really are working on aspects. They're working on the career aspects, you know, how to uh, mitigate some of those life circumstances that are coming their way, but really those social work keys too. A lot of our clients are coming in from generational poverty. So they don't know any better sometimes of how to overcome these uh, scenarios and barriers. So we really have to work with them their level, but really encourage them and be supportive along that journey. And of course, you know, we also work with them on the financial side. So we don't, you know, judge anybody that comes to our program. You know, we do look at their credit scores, but it's not for us to say, oh, your credit score is low or it's high. It's for us to say, like, how do we strategize to make our credit score better? How do we strategize together to teach them to advocate on themselves for creditors? How do we budget together? How do we create a savings account? You know, most of our clients that graduate leave with money in the bank. They never thought that was possible. And that's the beauty of what we're trying to do. We also want them to re-strategize about the budget when they start making extra money. Like, how do you build an asset? How do you uh, have a savings account for your child? These are kind of really interesting things, but we really strive to get them, hence the word level up, upskill their jobs. So that way they can make more money than they currently are to make a living wage so they can actually be living versus surviving. Now, you know what, and I probably should have started our conversation by saying this to you. What excited me about speaking to you about the Level Up program is that Level Up is a hand up. It's not a handout. So it's a, it's different yeah. than a lot of the programs that you hear. So speak to that for a moment, if you will. Yeah. So, you know, and I, I'll butcher this, so I won't even attempt, but I know like the Jericho Road, you know, Martin King Jr. used to say, you can give a man a quarter on Jericho Road, but you'll go back. So how do you change that? You got to change Jericho Road. You got to change the systems, the structures, that approach. So that way that man on Jericho Road isn't there. And that's what we look at level up. We're not just there to say, hey, if we give you money, you're going to make the right decisions. It's about them empowering themselves. So that way, not only are they get make more money, that's obviously a great goal, but it's the empowerment aspect that personally they feel empowered. They feel confident that they can tackle new situations that might occur 
moving forward. We know by our data and by national data, if we give people a hand up, the chances of them ever going back into that generational poverty is almost non-existent. And we do this really efficiently too. It does not cost us a whole lot of money to make this thing happen. And it's because the people that are in our program are so empowered and you just give them a chance to be successful and they're going to run a million miles with it. And that's what the most important part. It's the human concept of it that is the most important, not the financial part. Adam, so you just spoke about national data and it brought to my memory some stats that you shared not too long ago. Staggering stats, I might add. And that is that in Northwest Indiana, one in three households can't afford basic needs such as childcare, housing, food, and transportation. And with United Way of Northwest Indiana's Level Up program, the plan is to get 1,000 people through the program by 2023. So, Adam, take a moment to speak to that for just a moment, please. Yeah, and actually, which is interesting about those numbers, we have new numbers. And so this is going to jump those ones right off the chart. Okay. So those numbers came from 2021, the one and three. We just had our new numbers because every other year we do a full-on state and localized data analytics of really what is this working poor population. That number is now over 40% across our region. Wow. So it's taken a massive spike up. And this is a trend, not just in our region, we're seeing across the United States, that the cost of living is just becoming so much. And so it puts a lot of unique challenges. And so that is a, a new number. And that's why it's so important for us to really focus in on this population, because that number doesn't seem to be going away anywhere unless there's some uh, indicators of help. Now, what we know, <clears throat> just that if we had a thousand of our graduates just on a base minimum, you know, with the extra earnings they make uh, over the course of their lifetime, just on a financial uh, proof point, it equates to about $226 million back into our local economy. Wow. Where right now, uh, you know, some of the assistance programs that our clients are receiving is about, over the course of their lifetime, would be about $148 million deficit. So it's a heck of a flip by just that investing a little money, a little time right. to really improve someone's life. And the one indicator... Um, I don't really speak of much that is more importantly than the financial part is the livelihood. We know in generational poverty and the ACEs scores tell us this, that when children in poverty usually uh, exemplify and, and have more of those ACEs scores, which is adverse child experiences, we know that their prop uh, propensity to live is usually equates to about 10 to 15 years less than their counterparts that are not in generational poverty. So not only are we adding financial stability, we're really adding a life back into these children and these two adults. And to me, that's way more important than any, a price they could ever afford. Wow, I am just, um, I'm amazed by the numbers that you just shared because, you know, there are numbers that you don't think about when you look around at your neighbors. Some of us are kind of insulated, and so I am just amazed, but I'm actually also grateful that you shared those numbers. And I'm going to ask you how we as a community can help before we wrap up our conversation, but the Level Up program has been around for a few years now. What has the response from participants been? And if you can, share a success story of the program. Yeah, and you know, our response has been great from the participants. Of course, what we always ask is like, how did they get into our program? And almost all of them will say it was hesitation to, that kept them from the program because there's this notion that anything, especially, and I grew up in generational poverty, so I understand when something's good for you, there's always like, well, where's the catch? And 
this seems too good to be true. I don't want to get tricked. And that's not our program. Our program is literally self-driven by the clients themselves. We don't have a timeline. We work at their pace. So some people are in and out of our program right away. Some are, they take a little longer. They're in our program 18 or more months. And that's okay. And so the response has been really good from our clients. And I'll use one of our first graduates as an example. I'm actually now mentoring this guy to take it to a whole new level. He graduated from our program. He was a paraprofessional, worked years in the school district, tried to make ends meet. His idea was eventually to go back to school to be a teacher, a full-time teacher. But life kept getting in the way. You know, he's a young father, had a young family, lived in this generational poverty, and he's trying to get out. But he never got out of the cycle. And when he enrolled into our program, it was the first time in his life where people believed in him the whole time. They never judged him, and they held him with open arms and, and brought him in a program and held him inch long. In that process, you know, in his mind, I want to be a teacher. And you realize, maybe I don't want to be a teacher. He actually ended up becoming a really successful insurance salesman and owns his own business now. So through our program, wow. he left with about $6,000 in savings. He was able to use that money to start his first business and use the money he made from his business to purchase a house, which would be the first time in his family's history. So this is a really cool of what these things can do and build. Now, he doesn't need to worry about his child growing up in poverty. His child has experiences that he never probably got to enjoy as a, as a young man or a young child. And so this is what we're doing. Like this breaks the cycle of poverty. And so he's just a great story. He's always trying to evolve. We actually have him involved in our organization as uh, making sure our programs are okay. Like, hey, are we still meeting the mark to your expectations? So we love hearing our alumni experiences, but also their input of how do we make our program even better? Now, Adam, you know, we spoke off off air before our interview and we talked a little bit about your background, where you grew up and your travels. And you've only been here in Northwest Indiana for, I think, about a year and a half. Correct? Correct. So as you, you talk about the program, I'm, I'm interested to know what has the level of program taught you? And to that point, what has the level of program taught your colleagues at United Way? Yeah, I think the program's really taught me a lot about you know, I remember growing up in generational poverty and that I forget sometimes that, yeah, it literally just took one person to believe in me, to get me to be the first person in my family to leave this poverty, but to be in college. And I forget about that and that spirit and the, just that happiness. And, you know, sometimes in our work, we get kind of tied up on the day to day and we forget about the real important things about people's lives. And so Level Up has really taught me that humbleness again of you know, that passion people have to strive better for their future so their children can have better futures. And when I see our clients and I see our graduates, it just reminds me of what we're doing here in the United Way. And that is so important because sometimes you don't get to see your success for generations. And to see it right in front of you, it just wakes me up and makes me even more passionate than I already was. And it just, you know, keeps me driving forward on that level. And so I just really respect uh, what the level up has done for my uh, passion. Now, Adam, the Level Up program isn't the only thing happening at the United Way of Northwest Indiana. The organization recently released a strategic plan that runs from 2023 through 2025. Why did the United Way of Northwest Indiana feel it needed to have a strategic plan? Yeah, I think, you know, much like my United Way counterparts across the United States, there's roughly 1,300 United Ways across the globe. We were kind of getting lost. You know, we're one of the oldest nonprofits in the world that still exists, and we're 
we just couldn't find our footing of what what our mission could be. You know, the old style United Way was we are going to be kind of a community check. We're going to go out and raise a lot of money, and then we're going to write grants out to nonprofits to help serve their work. Well, that mission over time has just kind of got a lot more diluted as the needs got greater and forced every single nonprofit to find a way to raise money on themselves. So the need for United Way really wasn't as quite important as it used to be. But one thing that the United Ways have always been a good steward of is that connectivity to other nonprofits in their community. And so when we were doing a strategic plan, we wanted to figure out how to use those elements of a United Way, like the connections we have in our community, that community-driven voice, in a whole new way. And so when I started, we immediately got busy and we heard the voices of our nonprofits, our local citizens, our businesses, to figure out like where can we play a role but it looks different than what we're probably familiar with as a United Way. And so that's how we ended up really creating that strategic plan. And it's been a great plan uh, about it. It focuses on program sides, but also internal sides. So, you know, we can't be better if we don't get better internally. And so one thing we really did is this, my nonprofit partners will laugh about this because they're in the same predicament. We work ourselves in a poverty mindset ourselves as a, as a nonprofit. Meaning, well, we can't pay staff because we don't have money. Uh, we don't want to invest in technology. And we're, we're really uh, limiting our capabilities by thinking that way. Just because we're a nonprofit doesn't mean we have to operate like a nonprofit. We can operate like a successful business if we choose to. Because at the end of the day, the more money we raise, the more impactful work we can be doing. And so we had to strategize about that internal. How do we get better with our systems, our internal processes? our hiring practices, making sure we're diversified in our hiring practices, that we truly look like our community, that we're really being attentive about our work. But then, uh, you know, how do we raise more capital? Now that we're not going to be a united way in a sense, like we're raising money to give to other nonprofits, what does that equate to? And so we have a real strategic goal of trying to internalize our structure to raise $10 million. And we put $10 million on there because we know $10 million not only would we be able to help a thousand of those level up clients, we could help five thousand of those level up clients go right through our program, if not more. And so that's where that ten million dollar came to. And of course, our main focus has been this level up program, but we do have another program that's kind of operating the back burner, and it's we're waiting to kind of fine tune our level up program a little further, and then go on to goal two of ours, which is really developing this collective impact work. So using that experience we have in the United Way of partnerships, but really doing it in an intentional way. We have a lot of barriers, a lot of challenges in our communities, just like everywhere else does. But which ones do we focus on? So if we're looking at housing or transportation or childcare, how do we bring all the partners together and say, this is our mission. We need to hit this together and rallying the troops, but being uh, using the data to drive us and the community voices to drive us, but breaking everybody out of silos to work together on the same mission. And that's what Collective Impact truly is. So that will be our next mission we're going to because it plays in two realms. Not only will it help our community, but also helps our level up clients because the barriers we're all facing in the community is the exact same barriers they're facing too. So let's just eliminate the barriers altogether and make it a systematic approach. And that way we can help the individuals too. 
awesome. Now, you know, you're speaking about essentially the new direction, right, that the United Way is going. And in the past, nonprofits used to apply to the United Way for funding support, and they expected United Way to give them funding for their operations. And as we were just speaking about, the strategic plan sets a different direction. So what do people need to know most about that new direction? I think what people need to know most about is, you know, we're not our grandparents United Way and that we're unique in the aspect that we're truly led by the community's voices and what they need. It's not us, and I hate to use this term, white knighting a community saying, here's what we think the community needs, and if we do this, it's going to benefit people greatly. That's not how we run business. We are truly community-led, meaning, you know, Level Up was created by the community for the community, and that is really the new script. Like, we're really trying to be intentional about that. Anything we do, even to improve our current programs, is going to be with community involvement. We want to make sure, like, this is sound for them. It makes sense. It's led and driven by the community, not the other way around. And so often, uh, you know, nonprofits sometimes for the right reasons, but they come in, they want to help the community, and they're trying to do the right thing, but they don't realize sometimes that's setting up the community for failure. So we don't want to be that. We really want to know what they need so we can help address that. And this is one way that we can do that. It's a little different than what, um, you know, our former United Ways across the United States did, where the nonprofits were telling us what they need, not the other way around, not what the community needs. So we're hoping this will help change and kind of bring in that spirit of philosophy, like this is truly all of our work in our community, not just our nonprofits, but all of us really takes a village, that whole montage, and that truly is what it is. And so that's what we're here to do. We've spoken in great detail about the work that you do to support others within and around the region, but I want to talk a little bit about the volunteers and those who serve and help the United Way. Adam, so many workers sign up for United Way campaigns at their jobs through their places of employment, right? How are those people helping the United Way, and why are their philanthropic gifts so important to the United Way? Yeah, I was going to say that you know, our donors are so helpful and, you know, we do workplace campaigns. We do a lot of other variables to raise dollars. And I know I've heard this before from other donors. Like I, I had just the sweetest old woman come into our location just randomly and give us a $20 check with a card, just thanking us for all the work we do. And she was like almost ashamed that it was $20. She's like, I wish I could do more. And I said, you don't understand what this $20 can do. Right. And I explained to her and I said, I will always be happy for that. And I said, thank you so much for thinking of us. You can go anywhere. So I asked her the same question, like, why us? And she realized she saw the work we're doing. And one of her granddaughters was actually a recipient of our Level Up program. So it was kind of full circle. So that was a really impactful story for me to realize that that's great. And so I always tell people, you know, even if it's a small amount, it really does benefit us greatly. Just think if we all gave a dollar in our in our entire community just in lake county and porter county in our region alone that's 1.8 million dollars we would receive just by everybody giving one dollar i mean that imagine what 1.8 million dollars can do to serve our region so it really doesn't take a whole lot and we're a pretty frugal program when it comes to uh figuring efficiencies to be effective and so we really do uh you know really rely on those small dollars as a matter of fact the small dollars combined equates for about 70% of our entire budget. So that's how much it means to us. 
Wow. And you know what I always like to say as well, that $20 that she gave you in her mind, it may not have been a lot, but that $20 was a lot. That percentage that could have been 50% in expendable income that she has. And you compare that with someone, let's just say a millionaire who gives $20, that means nothing to them. So I think it's right. the heart of her giving that $20 means more than that dollar amount. And I am just so touched by her generous, very generous donation. And I hope that she feels that back from you. I, I hope that she that your passion reverberated back to her when you shared with her the, the gratitude for that $20 donation. I think it did. I mean, I'm not much of an affectionate guy, but I gave her a hug. Because <laughs> I really meant that much to me, you know, just swinging right. by her office to give us $20. So I, uh, I really appreciated that, that she did that. And uh, hopefully she comes back. And, you know, we I took her email down because I want to keep her in the loop. You know, I always say to people that give us dollars, if I show up on your door just for asking for money and then you never see me again, I'm being a terrible leader. It has to be a partnership. Not only do I need money, but I need to keep them in the loop of what's going on, other ways to get involved, hearing their input as far as how do we make our programs better. I mean, it's so crucial because it really is a partnership. I don't ever want to act like I'm in an ivory tower telling everybody this is how it does. Just give us money, trust me, and and leave me alone. That's just not the way I run business. Adam, it has been pure joy for me to speak to you today to, again, to hear your passion about the United Way of Northwest Indiana, to hear your heart for the newest program, Level Up. And I am just so grateful that you took the time today to spend with us here on Lakeshore Public Media. Well, thank you again for inviting me. It's just been a pleasure speaking with you and our audience out there. And, you know, that's what we're here for. And we're kind of a new kid on the block still. So we're trying to get our word out there, what we're really trying to do. And when people hear the word United Way, hopefully over time they'll realize what we are about. We're not the old United Way, we're the new United Way. That requires us to be more impactful in a whole new direction. So I just thank you for the time to let me explain kind of what we're doing and and why we made that change. Adam O'Doherty is the president and CEO of United Way of Northwest Indiana. The United Way of Northwest Indiana serves Jasper Lake, Newton, Porter, and Stark Counties. By the end of 2025, the nonprofit hopes to have 1,000 Level Up graduates from across the region. To join the program, residents are required to be working, live in one of the counties the organization serves, have reliable transportation, and meet the minimum income requirements. You can connect to more information about the program and apply by visiting unitedwaynwi.org forward slash level hyphen up. And that's it for Regionally Speaking for this week. Thanks to our guest, Indiana Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch, Indiana Youth Institute President and CEO Tammy Silverman, and from United Way, Adam O'Doherty. And we'll be back with you next week with an all-new show.